Welcome to Flow Hack. Hey guys, welcome to episode two of Thought Hack. Um, first and foremost, I'd like to give a shout out and thanks to our sponsors, Blue Microphone, Sendstroke, Wildhorn Outfitters, and of course, Catalyst Case. My guy, Jared Lindzen, has come back to visit. Um, previously, it was on the CTM podcast, but we changed it. Uh, new sponsors, new theme. We're not going to focus primarily on tech because I think the better part of our conversation sort of bumped up against like some really interesting stuff that we couldn't really delve into. So All right. Yeah. Works so, for me. What have you been up to? Oh, man, I've been busy. <laughs> it's been a long year. I mean, I haven't seen you in, in a year other than a, a very brief yeah. uh, moment yeah. at Collision. Um, so I don't even know where to begin. Um, my city, Toronto, run, uh, NBA, Raptors championship. Yeah. That's the most important thing to me right now. No, I'm kidding. Like, I saw that. It's, it's think, been wild. I think people summer. won like ridiculous amounts of money betting on the Raptors. I'm sure they were probably a long shot not that long ago. But uh, yeah, no, I... Um, Still doing my thing, writing primarily for Fast Company and uh, the Globe and Mail. Uh, I got a meeting tomorrow at the BBC. You might see me on there pretty soon. Congratulations! Uh, thank you very much. Well, nothing yet to congratulate. Okay, okay, let, yeah. Let me, let me it's close premature. It first. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Um, you can congratulate me on uh, getting the meeting. I'm happy about that. All right. All right. And uh, beyond that, no, things are going good. Um, still, yeah, doing a lot of writing, uh, a lot of public speaking. Um, you know, most of the work that I'm writing about, it's it's not just about technology, but it's specifically how technology is changing the world of work. And, and I do a lot of talks and a lot of writing about the fact that work as a concept is so different now than it was just 10 years ago. In fact, there's probably been more changes in how we work and why we work and where and when and how uh, than, you know, in the last 10 years than in the 100 years before it. And I also think that we're only at the beginning of a bigger transition into uh, even, you know, further away from the work that we used to know. Um, so that's that's definitely sort of my, my primary area of interest. But of course, with my career as a freelancer, I just follow whatever sounds cool to, to follow. So uh, whatever project comes my way. So what, what sounds cool to you lately? <laughs> um... I don't know. I mean, uh, being in New York is always fun, or Newark, I should say. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's getting close. It's getting close to the same thing. I was telling someone the other day that getting into Newark is like a lot easier than getting into like Queens or something like that. It yeah. might as well be like another borough. But I guess like super pro New Jersey people probably. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. don't don't tell the hardcore yeah, New Yorkers or the hardcore yeah. New Jerseyans. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's easy and fun for me to come out here and visit mm-hmm. you guys. So I'm always happy to nice. do it. Yeah. Um, we uh. We saw some really cool things at uh, Collision this year. I I wasn't unhappy with the conference. I thought the conference was cool. Um, I missed the way it was set up when it was in New Orleans. It was sort of like a second home, so I was really familiar with everything. So the first couple of days, I found myself sort of trying to find my footing. Yeah. And that um, you were in there. You got into the the initial talk with Justin Trudeau. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I think only because I was a speaker uh, did yeah. they let me in because they they shut the doors pretty early. Yeah. Um, turns out they had a whole section reserved for anyone who had... A, it's a real feudal system that they got going on at these conferences. It You're like weird. attendee or journalist mm-hmm. or speaker or investor. And like mm-hmm. that's the hierarchy. The higher, yeah. And the higher you are, the more perks you get. I, I thought my seat was reserved, right? So I kind of strolled in like, oh, now I got this. It was a ridiculous line outside. And the woman told me that 
a reserved seat didn't guarantee me a seat. What? And I I didn't get I was like, isn't that the point yeah. of reserving? Yeah. So and there's a whole episode of Seinfeld about that where yeah. he reserves a rental car. And yeah. they're like, we, we lost your rental car. <laughs> but that was the point of making the yeah. reservation. I mean, that, that could have been a whole episode in itself. I was pretty frustrated. Um, well, let me tell you, yeah. you, you didn't miss too much, although Seth Rogen mm. was hilarious and a lot of fun. And there were some really cool startups that were pitching, but they were around the rest of the conference. You'd see him mm. on other stages other times. Yeah. Um, Trudeau, I mean... We we tend to see him a lot. I know that in the States, you have a giant population and um, one dude who you may or may not want to actually see in person. Um, yeah. But, you know, our our 30 million people uh, get to see the prime minister, you know, uh, probably a lot more frequently. Um, it's probably, you know, as, as frequently as you're in the same room as the governor or whatever. Um, so, you know, I've been to a lot of conferences where he's spoken. Uh, I've been to a lot of events where he's made appearances. Um, you know, he's good at what he does but he's not doing anything different that you wouldn't see he didn't do anything at collision or say anything at collision that was really you know yeah. revolutionary or game changing or anything it's he has a pretty big fan base in the states i i know he does well yeah. it's an easy contrast to make right now yeah yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> you know he's yeah. losing i would say he's losing support in canada um because people think he's a little bit too much fluff and mm -hmm. not enough substance that's that's been the criticism from the beginning um, and actually, I, I was just talking about it earlier. Uh, we actually have an election coming up in October. We haven't even started talking about it yet. I mean, it's it's a six week process to elect a new leader or reelect the current mm -hmm. leader. So come October, he may or may not still be there. But it's okay. it's funny, you know, having watched the Democratic, the first of two Democratic debates last night, um, yeah. and like we're a year and a half out from the yeah. primaries. Whereas Canada will elect a new Trump never like really weeks. stopped campaigning. It seems no, he didn't. Yeah. No. And it feels like, you know, his personality is, is lending well to that. I feel like he started campaigning, you know, the day that he went on TV the first time back in the 70s or the 80s and yeah. hasn't really stopped being. Yeah, he hasn't stopped. He hasn't stopped being that. One brand. thing I'll I'll definitely give him is like, I, I don't know if it's media training or it's just like this natural like ability to sort of like connect to people or whatever yeah. it is. But. I mean, whatever he's doing is, is working. A hundred percent. You, you kind of got to give it up for for that show. People are buying what they what he's yeah, selling. Yeah, and and that's that's his whole. I mean, yeah. he's been doing that forever. And you know, whether it's real estate or TV shows or books or whatever, he knows how to. You know, he's a salesman. It's yeah. like it, it feels very salesy. Exactly. So. You know what? Though I feel, I also find the more I watch him, and not that I you know want to, but I, <laughs> yeah. you can't ignore it. Yeah. Um, the more you start to see the same tricks playing out over and over again. Uh, you know, constantly like um, creating a crisis, setting a deadline getting right up to that deadline to try and get what you want and then yeah. um all of a sudden crisis averted and you're the hero like you know there's there's yeah. certain tricks or certain things that that he's doing that really work the first time around but i think i hope at least that people are noticing that it's the same strategy over and over again and, and maybe are a bit more immune but who knows yeah um at large i don't think people sort of i mean again i think people in general us as a as a, a race or as animals or whatever you want to call us <laughs> We're getting smarter, but then like we're getting dumber at the same time. Have you have you seen the the deep fake stuff? I I have not. I keep hearing those words, and I haven't really had a chance to it's look creepy, into it. Man. You should look into me. it. What? It's I I I saw an article regarding um a deep a deep fake um video about um Barack Obama, and I go into it fully 
knowing that this is a fake video mm-hmm. and it was still very convincing oh right okay so that was the thing uh there was a video of pelosi not too long ago yeah yeah i think it was that the same i, I think it was yeah, too, yeah okay so yeah that that will make you feel really confident in the uh you know fairness of your next election and <laughs> i mean i think it's it's tough enough to be a journalist right now and oh, I, I definitely sure. want to get into that journalism stuff but i think it gets even tougher when like the waters and you think they can't get muddier but oh, yeah they only get muddier from here and uh It's a shock to me that media training is given to such a small group of the population, you know, like such a such a small percentage has been formally trained on, you know, just what to look out for, you know, how you can tell reality from fakery and and just knowing the basics, um, you know, knowing how to check a fact and, and, you know, confirm its, its accuracy. And there's so much that society would so benefit from knowing very basic media literacy skills um that you know like many other things like personal finance and you know paying mm-hmm. your taxes or whatever it's, it's these things that people have been arguing to get into the curriculum for a long time but instead you know you're, you're learning some kind of math equation that you'll never use in your actual life so i yeah, I, I, I wish I, I hope to see in the future that schools are more keen yeah we're gonna to, have to move those I man. Apologize. yeah the mayor I, kept I, bumping into I, it i yeah. talk a lot with my hands yeah it's all good um i hope to see that the media training becomes uh more of a standard thing for you know everybody as the waters get muddier as you said um so to go into the journalism thing because um yeah. i i kind of want to wrap my mind around what made you want to go ahead and dedicate your life to being a journalist, traveling the world, reporting news? Um, what what was that like? That decision yeah. like for you? Like, what made you want to jump into that? Yeah, actually, you know what? Lucky for you, I just wrote all of this down and delivered a speech Fantastic. on it. So I've got I've got all <laughs> the talking points yeah. ready to go. So, yeah. um, all right, let me let me rewind a little bit. Back in high school, I was uh, really bad at math and science, mm-hmm. um, like real bad, like barely passing the classes and dropped them as fast as I could, and uh, somehow did really well in English without really trying. So I knew I had to do something in that world. Yeah. Um, I took a media studies class in the 12th grade and loved it and then found out that I could just keep doing that in university. There's this general media studies program and the textbooks were like comic books and movies. And, you know, it was yeah. media that was we, we weren't reading a giant textbook on like, you know, business or law or science. We were watching a movie that I would have wanted to watch and then going like really deep into like, you know, the signs and the, you know, different like meanings behind things, whatever is that totally appealed to me as a student um, who wasn't good at traditional programs. And then I decided that, um, you know, a lot of people in my program, in my media studies program, were going into like, you know, starting a company and doing graphic designs and web development for for local businesses, uh, you know, in in the area. And other people were volunteering for the uh, campus radio station or whatever, like just trying to get some kind of real life skills. So I decided to volunteer for the campus paper. Um, I wasn't super into it at first. I mean, I liked the writing part, um, but it was a lot of work. You know, it was taking on extra homework pretty much. Mm -hmm. But one of my first assignments, um, you know, a little ways in, um, students uh, from the uh, Disabled Student Union came to the uh, office of of the uh, campus newspaper and um, told me that basically that the school had failed to provide adequate, um, you know, ramps and uh, accessibility uh in general and you know it would take these students half an hour to get from one class to the other so they basically like they had to build their schedules around having enough time to get from class to class and it was never really easy it was a big campus very little accessibility um and i took it to the uh student council president who basically said you know there's no room in the budget uh 
And so I wrote a story. The story was on the front page of the, the campus newspaper. Uh, people were reading it. People were starting to put pressure on the student government. And all of a sudden, uh, they found they room found in the, the budget. budget. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and so, you know, just a few weeks after writing the story, I'm walking around campus and I'm looking at construction crews building ramps and elevators. And like, man, that was a good feeling. That that was like, you know, I, I just listened to people and put some of their thoughts. And it was, wasn't even my thoughts. I just put their thoughts in, into writing and... and put it out there and it affected real change. And I, you know, so rarely in my work these days do I get to see such a direct... Yeah, I was going to ask you that. You know, I, I, it's amazing when it happens, but it's it's very rare to see direct action um, as a result of, of the stuff that I write. You know, perhaps it's, it's a function of the type of reporting that I do. When I used to, you know, I interned for a big newspaper in Toronto and um, it felt like I, I had more of an influence there because, um, you know, it was, it was a smaller paper. It, it wasn't even a smaller paper. It was just um, the content was was different. You know, when I'm writing now, I'm writing about trends. I'm writing about, you know, a lot of stuff about the future. You know, I'm, I'm trying to write as much as I can about issues that matter to me. But um, they aren't the things that can be changed overnight. Whereas, you know, the stuff that I'm writing for the city desk of the local newspaper or the news department of the student paper... Um, it feels like that's that's real advocacy. And that's like, you know, here is the problem laid out there. Whereas, you know, the, the stuff that I'm doing now, while I find it very interesting, isn't as, you know, direct. And it's more about the individual providing advice and, you know, ideas to individual readers rather than trying to affect societal change, which is something that I miss. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a different kind of reporting. Um, yeah, like, you know, I remember um, when I was an intern at, at the newspaper in Toronto, uh, I did a story about um, shark fin soup, which mm. I don't know if you're familiar, but it's... it's yeah, I've heard about it. I've never had it. Don't. Yeah. It's terrible. I had to have some for my uh, story. It was mm. gross. Um, it's, it's a very important cultural dish, um, but it is extremely cruel the way that they extract the fin from the shark. And it's a terrible practice that is reducing the shark population around the world. Ultimately, you know, really can they, can they survive no. the fin being cut off? The fin's oh, cut no. off, the carcass is tossed in the water and the fin is turned into a bowl of soup, a very so, expensive bowl of soup. But that, why wouldn't they just keep the rest of the shark? Uh, because the rest of the shark isn't edible. I, I believe really? I, you have to, I have no idea actually, like I'm, I, whatever it is, there's a lot, there's a premium on the fins, but you know, there's documentaries that have been made about this, um, where you see, you know, people collecting the, and drying out the fins and using them in, in dishes and the rest of the body is just thrown overboard. Um, because I, I guess, you know, I, I bet you it's because it's worth so much less because yeah. the fin is a delicacy and it's worth a lot more money. Um, that so they it's don't, not worth the effort. It's not I worth guess. the effort of, of yeah. hauling it in, perhaps. I, I'm not exactly I sure. I feel like maybe because it's like a a Japanese product. Because I feel like if it was done in the U.S., they'd use every part of that shark. I don't even know. Yeah. I Honestly, I, I have no idea. I just know that it was a, a very cruel practice that other places had banned. And, you know, Toronto has... A very diverse culture and, and there's a lot of places where you can you know still buy it or you mm. could still buy it for a long time and I, I wrote an article i interviewed somebody who made a documentary about you know the cruelty of the practice um and how it's affecting you know global populations uh of sharks and uh you know within a few weeks uh the there was a motion put forward at city council and uh not long ago it was officially banned Nice. So it was it was that kind of thing where, you know, I'm not going to say I had a big yeah. influence on that. I just took the ideas that someone else was giving mm -hmm. me and, and put it out there. But, you know, it, it felt like I had a, 
a small hand at least in affecting positive You're like change. Partly responsible why I'm never going to try the soup right now. It, um, oh god, it's yeah. so bad. Um, my I mean, editor told me. I, I, my editor told me I had to yeah. try it because like I had to describe it. You've article. had it. Oh. <laughs> it's um yeah the texture is just weird. Anyway, wow. <laughs> I won't get into yeah. it. But long story short, I don't know how we got into that, but. That is that is effectively yeah. why I yeah. became a. We definitely don't move that. Yeah, I yeah. apologize. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah, that that might help. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was. It all goes back to that one story I wrote in uh, in undergrad. Um, you know about the disabled student union. That's pretty much what got me into journalism. And uh, and yeah, I, I really like writing too. So mm-hmm. yeah. so um, I'm like a, a news junkie, and um, I recently sort of well, a little bit before recently. I don't know if it's whatever. So I got into uh, Viceland on mm. HBO and they, well, Vice and Viceland is the, the channel. And they did um, several um, specials that to me were just from the point of view of like, I guess the part of me that's still a journalist because <laughs> I've completely gone over to the commercial side. <laughs> but um, they did the cancer special. I don't know if you caught that. And then they did the um, the global warming special. I don't know if you caught either one of those. Uh, I'm trying to think. So I used to watch the show pretty religiously. Um, but like a few years ago, when they first came out with the show, uh, with the HBO show, and it was great. And then for some reason, I, I fell off. But, you know, I remember them doing some crazy stuff in North Korea. That was a big thing that Insane, they did. Yeah. Um, I feel like they've done a whole bunch of episodes related to global warming. So I'm not sure. I, I don't know if I've seen the episodes you're talking about, but I feel mm. like there's parts of the stuff that I've seen. The, in, in the it. global warming special was like scary to me. It was like I sat there watching it and I've seen like, you know, Inconvenient Truth and I've seen yeah. like, you know, Docs before. But the Vice special was like kind of a little bit more it was it was definitely more terrifying well al gore gets a little bit of flack for putting a um you know a happy ending on a very scary story um yeah no it's everything i read about global warming is scaring me these days um the the cancer special actually was a little bit more like you know it i I kind of walked away with a little bit more like you know hope and uh, feeling a lot better about you know humanity a little bit like you know they They've made like really big strides in terms of cancer research, but apparently, I guess they haven't been getting a lot of support in the FDA and a bunch of other like mm-hmm. you know the bureaucracy of like testing and so on and so forth makes it really tough to to get through trials. But like really miraculous results in my mind. If I were to sort of go full into being a journalist, I'd probably be like that guy on the front lines or something. I think being an entrepreneur sort of gives me that same excitement. I think I need something that sort of drives me or is super exciting. I don't know if yeah. I could just be like a political dr- I'd probably kill myself. <laughs> I told my mom one time that my career wasn't complete until I uh, had a bulletproof vest on that said media and she freaked out a little bit. Um, okay. She was not happy about that. Uh, I'd watch it. I wouldn't. I, yeah, I yeah. know. Like I watched these it. guys on Vice and they're like in the middle of a war zone and doing some incredible reporting and completely changed. You know, there's so much disinformation coming out about what's going on and they get to no. the heart of it. And it's such good journalism, such important work. Um, but it's really like life threatening, like scary stuff. Like there's gunfire in the oh, background. Yeah, and they're for just sure. saying, yeah, it's when insane. I was younger, I was like, yeah, get me in there. I, w- I want to dive right in now. Now I'm a little bit uh, you could just go more on. cautious. Yeah. <laughs> What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. And and so I, I totally hear you there. You know, I love being a freelance journalist because uh, I, I feel like I have this 
entrepreneurial gene. You know, my dad's an entrepreneur. My grandfather on both sides were entrepreneurs. Um, you know, it's it's something that uh, is almost part of me, whether I like it or not. I get excited about, you know, the business side of things, but I also get to still do, you know, the product is my journalism. So I, I love being... So you're sort of like a free agent. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I am a freelance journalist. So uh, yeah, I get, I get to do the best of, of both worlds. I'm doing some reporting and speaking and stuff that I, I think is important and also a lot of fun to pursue. And at the same time, I'm still doing all this, you know, I'm, I'm a very small business, a one person empire. <laughs> so... What are the downsides to being a freelance journalist? You know, actually, I'm I'm working on a story right now for uh, Fast Company, so I even got all these stats ready for you. Fantastic. Um, yeah, no problem. So um, I could tell you that uh, freelancers in general, um, and and not gig workers, I, w- I want to make mm-hmm. the distinction, not yeah. you know Task Rabbits and Uber drivers and Fivers, but um, freelancers who are doing you know more knowledge work, the sort of stuff that I'm doing. Um, often have a higher salary than when they were in the traditional workforce, uh, work less hours, mm-hmm. um, and are generally more satisfied with work and also obviously have a much better work-life balance and, and that sort of thing. The one big downside, um, which is what I'm, I'm writing about right now, is salary fluctuation. And actually, you know, maybe an hour before I got here, I was working on a graph that represents my salary um, my, my earnings, I should say, um, from the day I started freelancing till the end, I, I think the end of this week. Mm-hmm. And it is a wild swing of up and down constantly, no consistency, no rhyme or reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's generally trending in the right direction, but the fluctuation is crazy. And, and dealing with that is probably the hardest part about being a journalist or being a freelancer. You, you, you have to get used to, you know, being responsible for everything, whether it's it's insurance or paying your taxes or, you know, anytime you convince yourself you've got money, like you got yeah. a big check yeah. that comes in and you're like, ooh, that's a big oh, check. Yeah. That's a lot of money. And then you realize like, that's not my money. That's that's a little bit of the government's money. That's a little bit of, you know, my overdue bills money. That's a little bit of my insurance money. That's a little bit of my like tiny retirement savings money. Like that's that's not like go on vacation money. Yeah, true, true. That's it's, like keep the lights on money. That, yeah, that stuff yourself. And it's it's hard because the temptation is there. You're looking at a big number in your bank account. and You're like, oh, I'm going out tonight. But yeah. that that you know, it's it's the way I'm describing it in the story is being a freelancer, dealing with fluctuating income, completely changes your relationship with money. Um, because, uh, you know, you never know what's coming and when. Mm-hmm. Um, and the when question is obviously a, a big one, too, for freelancers, because being paid on time is, is a big issue. Um, or being paid at a, you know, someone can tell me they're going to pay me in 60 days. It's still a crazy amount of time to wait yeah. for a check. Um, so, you know, dealing with with that, it's not for the faint of heart. And it's definitely not for so, everybody. So, I mean, yeah, entrepreneurship is it's tough. And I, I think I've gotten used to it. So it kind of feels like there's this giant anvil hanging over your head at all yeah. times. So yeah, but I I've grown very comfortable under under my anvil. I, I appreciate yeah. the shade. Uh, <laughs> you appreciate the shade. Yeah, I like the that. shade from the anvil. <laughs> I, like um, that. I don't know it. If I feel more alive doing it though, yeah. versus like you know feeling like a, a lemming going into work every day totally. and like you know. But like, you know, whatever works for a different people, no, I don't want to shit on. It's high highs yeah. and low lows for Definitely. sure. Like when you're killing it as a freelancer, it feels, and amazing. It feels amazing because there is there's no one else who's going to take credit for whatever positive is happening in your life. Like it is you went out there and you did it by yourself and you get all the credit and you get to enjoy that feeling of victory, uh, you know, that pure feeling of victory. Whereas, you know, when you're working on someone else's dime, it's 
Yeah. The the gains that you're making are for someone else, not for yourself. So the how does it work exactly? So you're you're salaried or is it like a paper story type of situation? Always per word. Yeah. So the more words I, I get out there, the yeah. more money I make. But yeah. I got to convince people that uh, my words are worth publishing. And and that doesn't change. You know, like, it doesn't matter what I did yesterday. Yeah. Um, you know, every day is a new battle to, to sort of keep the, the pipeline of work full. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also to do the work at the same yeah. time. So it's, it's, you know, you're dealing with both sides of it, um, which, again, is for some people the scariest idea, you know, just let me go to work and get my paycheck and call it a day. And, and yeah. I totally get that. Um, but for other people, it's it's kind of thrilling and an exciting challenge. And, and that's, like I said, it's, where, it's my, I've, where I lie for sure. I've heard a lot of journalists uh, recently. I've, I've spoke to a friend of mine who, um, who does sports journalism and um, he was telling me that a lot of his colleagues are now being paid per hit. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a weird one, too. Um, I don't like that idea, although I understand the logic behind it. You know, at the end of the day, it's it's a business it's about making money. Um, but there's so much wrong with journalism today. There's so much right, too, but there's a lot that's wrong with it. And incentivizing, you know, popularity over quality, you know, it's 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 a different thing someone encourages clickbait it encourages clickbait and it's it's not good for society you know it's it's kind of like um reading like you know certain fluffy entertainment stories that's like you know consuming candy it feels real good but it's not going to help you in the long run um whereas you know eating your your vegetables uh, you know those really long new yorker stories that'll change your perception on some really important issue half a world away sometimes it's you know people aren't sitting down to read that kind of thing anymore as as much as they used to and um i don't know i i I feel like i want to be more on the you know value add side of the equation than the you know clickbaity uh you know poppy kind of stuff but but i get it because it is it is a business at the end of the day and you know the publisher is making money based on clicks so they're just passing that model down to to the writers. I personally like being, you know, a per word rate and mm. whether my article goes viral or nobody reads it except my mom, it's still going to pay the same amount. And I'm very OK yeah. with that because then I can just concentrate on writing good Quality. work. Yeah, yeah. Rather than, you know, something that that might blow up. Well, I mean, I I get the business side of things. And like, I mean, the the capitalist in me is like I'm, I'm very much in support of anything that that grows out uh, a business that isn't like I guess super unethical. But then there is a side of me, even still the entrepreneur that depends on like writers like you that you know you wanna if you're going to put out information you 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 don't want it to be fluff. Yeah. I I feel like ignorance is like the most expensive thing in the world. So not knowing stuff has cost me so much money. Right. And I mean, not knowing his cost, I, I feel like society, especially if we're talking about the States, a lot. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. I, and, you know, it's. I don't I don't want to be one of those people that's like blaming social media for every problem in society. I hate when people do that. But yeah. like, I got I got to just point it out that, you know, there was a time where, you know, you wanted to connect with the world around you. You picked up a newspaper or turned on the TV or listened to the radio or whatever, and you expected to be informed. And now there's so many things that are competing for your attention that 
it's more about entertainment. It's more about getting you to, you know, click on that link or, you know, you're scrolling through your feed and you're not necessarily going to click on the the stuff that is like feels like homework. You're going to click on the stuff that feels like, you know, a fun time. I know I talk about Black Mirror a lot, but did you see that episode? the the new one about the the clickbait and the um i guess um about how addictive um mobile devices are i hate to say it i don't watch black mirror because it creeps me out yeah i've seen a few episodes and it just i I turn off the tv just feeling really uncomfortable about the world and it's too real for me and (laughs) maybe it's because i'm in denial but Mm -hmm. like it gets too real and i you know the new episodes the new episodes are even even worse because i feel like they Tech is still a big component, yep. but they sort of veer into like social issues a little bit more. So I think they're using technology to highlight very human issues or very human like, you know, questions about like, you know, us existentially. So there's the um, there's an episode. I don't want to ruin it for people, but whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's an episode about this guy who kidnaps. Uh, there's a fake company, I guess you can whatever tech giant is sort of modeled after. Yeah. It could be Google or Apple or something. And I, I would liken it to Facebook more likely because the um, the head of the company, who's played by Topher Grace, is very like you know mysterious tech genius head yeah. of company guy. Yeah, they find him, I guess, meditating in the middle of the desert, ironically because he needs like a, a tech break or something. And this guy kidnaps one of the workers and he he blames himself, but he blames the company for the death of his fiance. They were driving on a road. He was bored. So he looked down at his phone because, you know, yep. That's what you, you have. You have phones now. Like, you <laughs> yeah. know, I find myself doing it even when I'm driving. Like, you know, driving's not enough stimulation for me. So I have to constantly look down at my email. And um, he got into a horrific car accident. She died. And um he basically wanted to be heard. He basically, he blamed himself, but he wanted to speak to the head of the company and say, hey, like, you making your device so addictive sort of put me in a position where I got somebody killed. And then, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that actually goes back to, we we were talking about uh, Collision a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. And one thing I noticed, and I actually, like, did a a little, like, roundup story about, you know, the biggest themes out of Collision, Uh, and and I think one of the biggest themes, if not the biggest theme, is that for for the longest time, um, there was a lot of positivity around the tech industry, and people didn't think twice about a lot of these companies that were just giving them free services or or really cool tech, um, and, and, you know, about the impact and what they were doing, And, and more recently, there's been a lot of pushback uh, against companies like Facebook, against Apple, against Google, um, for the impacts that they are having on society. But you know, the the ethos of these major tech conferences has changed dramatically because it used to be you know these mis- mysterious founders getting up on stage talking about how they are going to save the world. They have the solution for everything, and you know, like everything is going to be. It was very optimistic, and I felt like really inspired. I'm like, man, I love the way the world is going right now. We're in good hands. Mm-hmm. The tech leaders are going to save us from all these major societal, yeah. you know, problems. And you know, these guys get it. And then as as time went on, um, and I think especially in the last couple of years, there's been uh, a real awakening. Um, you know, people used to think. I used to think that, you know, the tech industry was a huge contrast to other industries that I don't necessarily agree with the ethics, Uh, you know, oil industry, uh, banking industry. um, You know, I'm not saying 
I'm not pointing anybody out, but in, in general, you know, it's, it's always been profits first and, you know, planet and people, not even an afterthought. Yeah. I feel like the tech industry is, it, people have kind of opened up their eyes and, and realized, you know, that they're not that different from any other major I feel like it, it starts with the, the best of intentions and yeah. these, these small startups with hopes of changing the world eventually become these large corporations that employ like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and they make, you know, millions upon millions. And sometimes in the case of like, you know, your Apples and your Facebooks, trillions of dollars. And, you know, the bottom line becomes important. And yep. then, like, you know, ethics sort of, like, as you get closer to the top, start to get, like, you know, very subjective. And, you know, they've become... But the, then at the, yeah. they have so much power by that point, you know. By the time that there's some pushback, they have so much power that it, yeah. it almost, like, you know, it's it's hard to to push against it um you know one thing that's that's been really interesting to see playing out in toronto uh the last little while and, and especially even just this last week um i don't know if you're familiar with sidewalk labs it's no. a project so google basically bought um 13 acres of downtown toronto it was undeveloped land right on the waterfront it was it was you know pretty prime real estate it just hadn't really been developed um they they bought this big plot of land and they are building this city of the future and on the face of it, it sounds really exciting, really interesting. We're just going to give Google a whole bunch of land. They're building this like multi-use space um, for you know living and working, transportation in like this futuristic way, and you know data is being collected, governance is going to run differently, and whatever. And and people were super excited about all these ideas that they were putting forward. But in the last little while, um, there's been first of all, there's there's been revelations that Google actually plans to take over a much bigger part of land in in Toronto. Yeah that this is just the beginning of them slowly taking over, that they're collecting income taxes from the residents um, and, and other fees and taxes. They're wow. also collecting huge amounts of data and basically using this community um, as, you know, guinea pigs um, to sort of, you know, optimize their own products and services based on studying, you know, humans almost like That's so creepy, it, 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 the more you look into it, the creepier it is. And so, you know, if, I remember a few years ago, the, the prime minister, the premier and the mayor got together with the app, with the Google executives. They stood on that land. They broke the ground. It was everyone was, you know, I didn't hear any negative negativity about it. Um, recently, there have been like, you know, trending hashtags and protests and People are really pushing back against this. Um, in fact, just recently, the CEO of RIM, um, who makes mm -hmm. BlackBerry, Canada doesn't have a lot of really big tech companies. So yeah, like RIM the, kind of, yeah, the, the, got the ball rolling. The C, there isn't really a bigger CEO in Canadian tech than the former CEO of BlackBerry slash RIM. And one of the co-CEOs is now leading the charge against Google Sidewalk Labs. Um, at the same time, Google has been really flexing its budget when it comes to the PR effort to changing, uh, you know, the city's perception about what it's doing. And there's there's this really interesting and and somewhat scary battle playing out in Toronto um, over this this parcel of land and and just how invasive uh, Google's plans are for the residents who who decide to to live there. So. Um, a lot of it is up in the air. There, there's literally been, you know, uh, public hearings as of just this this last week. And as a journalist uh, based in Toronto, I'm, I'm getting inundated with, uh, you know, information from the other side, from the Google side, talking yeah. about, you know, 
how great it is and how it's going to be, you know, the best thing to ever happen to the city. So anyway, I think I feel like that's a microcosm for just generally people are originally signed on to these big, bold tech ideas because they sound amazing. And then when they start digging into it and realizing what they're giving up and, and you know, what the sacrifices are, and it doesn't sound as great anymore. And I, I think, too, if if they were more transparent with what they were doing, it, it would come off a lot better. Like, hey we're 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 data mining we're we're doing x and we're doing y and i think people would feel less taken advantage of if they were more direct versus we're we're trying to save the world and then we have this like secret ulterior motive yeah yeah yeah, yeah no it, it, it feels it, nefarious that way i i i almost feel like my like you know unbridled support for the tech industry when i first got into this business mm-hmm. um was like so badly damaged that I'm like, you know, afraid to trust yeah. big companies ever again because I was so, I bought in hard to like, you know, I'd hear these guys speak about these incredible visions of the future and these bold ideas. And I'm like, you know, I was, I was really drawn to it. And uh, I feel like uh, I'm not the only one who has more recently just had to take a step back and really evaluate, you know, what we're giving up. Um, I yeah. mean the the self righteous thing is is tough because when you get to a point where you genuinely believe that your way or your product is going to change the world, you're going to sort of push back against anyone who questions that or yeah. or tells you. So I think they genuinely feel like, hey, we have to lie to these people to make the world better, or I mean, whatever self justification they 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 use to sort of, you know, yeah, yeah. I just. Uh... I don't know. Even as a as a journalist, uh, with you know the the media training that I was talking about earlier, I still mm. fell I still fell for it totally. Yeah. I'll be the it's first to admit man. it. Yeah, no, it's it was really inspiring stuff, and and now I, I feel like um, we we have a different relationship with the industry than we did when you know the iPhone first came out and Google first came out and Facebook first became a thing, and people didn't really understand what the you know what they were giving up in exchange for it. You know, we're, we're seeing that play out now in, in interesting ways. Mm. So I feel like that's that's the new narrative of the tech industry. It's not all, you know, making the world a better place. It's like we're yeah. we're screwing up and we're trying to fix it. <laughs> yeah, know, that I was, get that. That was a lot. kind of the messaging yeah. of and, and people collision. figuring out, especially the. Um, I keep going back to that uh, that Senate hearing with Mark Zuckerberg. So I yeah. think the public is sort of like, "Hey, what have you guys been up to behind behind the curtain?" We didn't care before, but yeah. now we we really want to. know. Yeah, a hundred percent. So just really, really quick, because I know we're going to have to wrap up pretty soon. I kind of want to get into, um, I know what drives me as an entrepreneur, right? What makes you do what you do? What makes you sort of be okay with waking up and not knowing if that next paycheck is going to show up? Uh, I mean, I think that's half the fun of it. Yeah. So, you know, I I think um, most people who work for themselves have at some point had a job that they really hated. Mm-hmm. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. So, you know, I felt it, like my boss was an idiot. I hated working for anyone I felt was was less capable than me. Yeah. That's. Yeah. I mean, I, I I feel like a lot of people. That's what ultimately drives them into self employment. And and for me, that was definitely the starting point. Like it was. I could be doing better myself than I am, you know, yeah. doing what this person said. And also like he, so I, I spent a year doing work that wasn't quite journalism. It was more content marketing and, and I didn't love it, but it was, 
it was okay enough. And I was not really being paid very well, but it was a, a cool, interesting startup. And they promised that in year two, they were going to, you know, significantly bump up my salary. And then I finished year one and was like, so how about that mm -hmm. salary increase? And they're like, sorry, it's just not going to happen this mm -hmm. year. Um, so they, they offered, you know, they originally spent a whole year promising me a huge raise and then barely even gave me a raise, like an insulting yeah. increase when that time came. And that was the point where it's like, all right, I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. um, I can do better on my own. And so for that first year, my motivation was I am going to beat what they had originally promised me mm -hmm. while doing the job that I actually love, because what I was doing there wasn't exactly what I wanted to be doing. Plus, I didn't like working for anybody. I don't, I don't think it was necessarily the, the individual boss that I had, although, you know, yeah. but I, I just don't think I'm, I'm built for taking instruction um <laughs> you know i like to, I, I like to I'm go in the my same own boat. Way. like freedom is i think the biggest incentive for yeah. me the the idea that i mean I, I talk to friends of mine and i'm like hey we're about to go out of town to do x thing and they're like yeah you know i gotta find out if i got days yeah. and i'm just like dude i'll fucking kill myself i i really enjoy that or like you know it's even even some days like today it's super hot out there are days where it's just like it's four o'clock it's so nice out i just don't want to be at work i'm putting yeah. down the laptop i'm going to the pool like you know and i'm not i'm not one of those entrepreneurs that that shits on people who like want to have a nine to five if no. that works for you i get the appeal 100 percent. there were days when the checks didn't come and i was like dude what am i doing with yeah. my life you know what i mean i have bills and i have like kids and so on and so forth but i mean on on the flip side what what are you like sacrificing one i know if i can make x amount of dollars for a corporation i can make that for myself right and so keep more of it and i don't feel like my my value and my worth is really appreciated in in a larger machine yeah you know what i mean you're you're just a cog whereas i in a, in a smaller company like i i feel like if i'm even if I'm working with a larger company, like whenever we've done uh, projects with, say, um, Xbox or um, Buy or whatever, I I feel my values appreciated versus, you know, yeah. the, the larger company. You know, actually, um, so for the story that I'm working on uh, about income fluctuation, I spoke with the uh, CEO of uh, Upwork just a couple of days ago. Uh, they just, you know, ran this big study um about the, re the reasons why people get into freelancing and uh he he has this prediction that he's been saying for a very long time um that by the year i think it was 2022 or 2023 that half of the united states would have at least uh some form of side income as a freelancer yeah. um and then so he he was telling me you know people always follow that question with so when does it become 100 percent?" and his answer is it's not going to go beyond 50 mm -hmm. because there's a lot of people out there who would fare a lot better and have a much higher quality of life if they were working for themselves. There's also a huge portion of the population that is doing much better and has a much higher quality of life when they're working for someone else. Some yeah. people are built for it. Some people aren't. That's just the way it is. It's just mm -hmm. that for the last hundred years, that hasn't it hasn't really been an option. You can start a business, which is extremely risky and, and difficult. And, you know, it's getting easier now, but it used to be extremely difficult, extremely risky. And, you know, it wasn't the wise thing to do. Being an entrepreneur, that was kind of a dirty word yeah, in previous yeah, generations. Yeah. 
So, you know, it wasn't really a viable option. And now there's the option. And and I don't think one is necessarily better than the other. I, I know a lot of people who are doing really well working for somebody mm-hmm. else. And I do not I feel judge like people, at all. People have been resorting to it because of necessity and less because of like, you know, hey, I want to jump out this window. Yeah. Well, I, you know, the the freelance, um, the the study that I was talking about before that, that Upwork did, you know, they, they've been tracking these numbers and... Uh, they started doing it in 2014, and I feel like the closer it was to the, uh, you know, 2008, um, you know, economic crisis, um, the more people were answering the survey saying that they were freelancing out of necessity. As the economy gets better, I mean, you know, especially in the United States, I think you guys are at like three point something percent unemployment, yeah. something crazy like that. If you want a and job, that number doesn't really account for the people who have basically just opted out of yeah. of the system. So. Pretty much, you've got a situation where if you really want to be employed um, and you have the skills that you would need to be a freelancer, uh, you you have the option. You can mm. definitely get. So that's why you know right now the I think I believe I was looking at the numbers earlier today. I think around sixty percent of freelancers got into it uh, out of a choice rather than a necessity, um, and something around seventy eight eighty percent somewhere around there um, would you know wouldn't go back into the traditional workforce. Um, out of the people who are freelancing full time now. So I, I definitely understand that a lot of I got into it out of necessity. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't earning what I thought I deserved. I didn't I wasn't happy. I wasn't going to stick around there. And mm-hmm. I didn't have any other options. Journalism was not, you know, in 2011, it was the worst time to graduate from a journalism program. Mm-hmm. Um the industry was in the worst shape it had been and arguably hasn't gotten much better. Uh, so there wasn't there wasn't any jobs. I, I freelanced. I began freelancing because I wanted to get out of the place where I was and I wanted to be a journalist. And, and that wasn't an option at any other company. I had to do it myself. Um, but within two years of, of freelancing, I realized that like this, this isn't a backup plan. This isn't mm-hmm. plan B. This is this is what I'm doing. It's going to take a lot to get me to do anything else. I don't think I ever will. I, I don't know I'd be, if I'd be happy being anything but an entrepreneur. And I felt like I feel like I was an entrepreneur before I even really knew what it was like. Um, one example is when I was in grade school, we we had a science fair and my I, I remember since day my science project was about overpopulation. And I had this um, bowl with like fish. And I, I think I had like, you know, a, maybe 50 to 60, like, you know, fish crammed into this tiny bowl. And I had another bowl with maybe like, you know, 10, 15 fish in it. And I mean, the it's it's an obvious project, but, you know, I was in third grade or fourth grade and I was very proud of it. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's pretty good for a third grader. But um, I actually um, brought Ziploc bags to school with me. And I was selling the fish for a dollar on the side. So I would kind of like, you know, the students would yep. come by and I would like take a little fish out, put it in a Ziploc bag with some water. And like, you know, I'd sell I them feel like side. every yeah. entrepreneur, everyone who's destined to be an entrepreneur has a story like that from like, you yeah. know, do car washes and lemonade stands when you were a kid to like, you know, finding something just to sell kids in school. There was a period of time. It wasn't very long, but there's a period of time where I would buy like a, a 24 pack of cans of Coke. And there was a vending and, you know, they cost me like eight cents yeah. each. And there's a vending machine down the hall that was selling them for a dollar fifty each. And I would just be like, hey, you guys, you know, don't don't buy it from there. I'll give yeah. you it's warm, but it'll cost you twenty five cents instead of a buck fifty markup. I mean, yeah, uh, it was a good yeah. markup for me. And <laughs> yeah. I didn't do it for too long. I just didn't have the locker space for all that pop. Yeah. But uh, you guys called soda. Yeah. But <laughs> the margins on the fish were pretty good. Those were each a, a quarter, like throwback to anyone from Jersey. There's a space uh, that was called Valley Fair. 
that had like the little yeah <laughs> they um they had everything it was like a sort of urban mall and they had like a pet store and each of these little fish was like i i think they're anywhere from like 10 cents to a quarter and i was selling them for a dollar so that was yeah, definitely margin yeah that was definitely like my my corner store money for the for the month um i think we're gonna wrap i, cause I know you got to get out of here but thanks for coming out yeah man. it's my pleasure i'm always happy to, to come on out here and uh, hang with you guys I, i'm yet to have a bad time out here in new jersey we um we definitely got to go back to toronto and and spend more time i know collision is next year and yep. i'm going to see if i can't come out a day early to be honest we had so much stuff bumping up and then we ended up leaving a day early on yeah. top of that because i was um, upset i saw yeah. you uh posting a picture of the airplane i'm like come on uh, man you just got here we um some stuff came up we actually rushed the studio because we're doing the podcast with um the mayor mm. of, of newark and like you know that's been going really well it's actually editing that earlier and nice. um we we had to get out of here and in time to get that going well but you owe us a few days in time. toronto yeah. all right i'm definitely going to come <laughs> out there i love the apartment like the the community where we were hanging yeah. out that whole area was like amazing yeah, 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 and and we figured out that like I actually live not too far away from where you're staying. Yeah, it's it's, I, I love that part of town. It's it's an exciting place. I lived in New York for a few months, and I love New York, but it felt very much like um, New York's been a great city for a long time. People know New York as as a great city. You know, when I was living here like five years ago or whatever, no one knew anything about Toronto. You know, the, the most I got out of people was, "Oh, isn't that where Drake's from?" Yeah, but like that's that's it. And so Drake's like your master. He yeah. pretty much is. But before that, they, people didn't even know, like, you know, where he's, where he's, is that? You you know the number, right? He's worth like $600 million to the city. Uh, you know in, what? In I hadn't the, heard that, but economy, that's, that yeah. sounds about right. Yeah. Um, they don't ever want this guy to leave. I, you know what? The best part is, so the thing about Drake that makes him unique is that there's a lot of celebrity. Like, you don't even realize how many celebrities come from Toronto and or Canada, but they leave. They, yeah. they don't come back and they don't advertise that they're Canadian. Like maybe it'll come up in a talk show I or thought whatever. it was just Drake. Drake was the first one yeah. to stay and to like declare this his home and to start, to, you know, he's got lyrics about places that I go to on a regular yeah. basis. Like that that never happened to me growing yeah. up. Like no one, no one acknowledged the existence of, of the country and especially not the, the celebrities. They, they moved down to Beverly Hills and, you know, that, that was yeah. it. I could give you a list of celebrities that are from Toronto. Blow your no. mind. <laughs> really? I, I mean, it's cool. I, I know people who went to Toronto just to say they were hanging out in the six and so on and so forth. That's, so, yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Like, and, you know, he's got the OVO Fest that brings in a lot of people. Um, yeah, like it's it's given us a, a sort of credibility. But, uh, you know, it's it, it's the fourth biggest city in North America um, after New York, L.A. and Mexico City. I didn't know that. Comes Toronto. We just barely passed Chicago, but only mm. if you count like the suburbs or whatever. So we're pretty much the same size as Chicago. People don't don't recognize how, how big of a city it is. And, you know, it's there's been a lot going on there for a long time. We're not a very boisterous, you know, boastful kind of place. We're, we're very mm. you know, low key. Um I feel like between Drake and the Raptors win, you guys are... Yeah, all of yeah, a sudden, we, we got something yeah. coming. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice to um, see it. The, the restaurant where he took the take care cover, they were barely, barely, like, surviving. And ever since, like, you know, that album came out, they actually left that table where he took the picture. That's awesome. Exactly as is. And people... It's like a tourist destination now. There was, uh, I think, a couple of years ago, he came out with an album, and he's got one picture in the album where he's standing on top of a rooftop. And I'm like, 
that I can see that out my window. Like that's yeah. two buildings over from me. I'm like, yeah, it's weird. Like I'm I'm hearing lyrics about you know streets that I walk on. That never happened. You know, yeah. I, the whole my whole childhood, I'm listening to music about places I've never been to and never heard of. You know, it's are there like Drake tours in Toronto? Someone there should, aren't, but there should. Yeah, be. yeah. Someone should someone should set that up. I, that's a that's a hundred thousand dollar idea right there. Yeah, I wouldn't say a million, go. but someone's gonna someone's gonna make a living <laughs> off that right there. That's free. All right. always thinking like an entrepreneur yeah man all right so we're gonna wrap up I actually have a 5 30 anyway no um, thanks for coming out man i really my appreciate pleasure. you making your way yo next time we're recording this in toronto all right? definitely definitely Sounds i actually good. bought all my podcast equipment i didn't get to do anything so next right, time thanks. i'd like to thank our sponsors catalyst case Sendstroke, Wildhorn outfitters and of course blue microphone this is reg and you're listening to thought hack